plans are worthless. But planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine Intelligence Officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Well, Mark, here we are, a little bit of strategic risk assessment talk, a little bit of strat, and of course, today is the China challenge. We're going to talk about various issues with China. Uh, obviously, the the near peer competitor to the United States, but soon to overtake us uh, economically, uh, according to statistics. We're not quite sure when. So anyway, Mark, would you like to say a few words as we kick off on this uh, uh, rather interesting topic and discussion? Sure. Thanks for letting me join you, Hal. Uh, great to be here with Strat. Yeah, uh, we keep coming back to this, the same uh, old saw from our, our grade school here, that the point being... The only thing that's new in the world is uh, what you haven't, the, the history you haven't read, is, as Truman had taught us. And now we're going full circle looking at uh, the crucible of, of China and the United States, what we're facing. So we've got it on the geopolitical front, uh, the impact in the, the broader global economy, and certainly the impact domestically in, in, in North America, what we will call Fortress North America. So we can break that down. I'll, I'll hand it back to you first. Well, we are going to break it down. And uh, and part of Fortress North America is really, uh, and we kind of have, we've grappled with different ways of describing this. And the China challenge seems to probably be the best way. You know, we're looking at something, some have called it, we're going back to a Cold War paradigm. And there's certainly a lot of geostrategic ways that we're looking at that. We're looking at how the world's aligning you know, with the Soviet Union, there was the, you know, the red menace, if you will, with, with China and the Soviet Union, the Warsaw Pact, all these communist countries around the world. Now what we're seeing is not so much a communist menace as a realignment of uh, autocratic regimes, but also autocratic regimes that basically align with the uh, same sort of communist philosophy, even though they're using capitalist economics in terms of how they do it. Although command economy capitalist economics so we're going to kind of kick this off and 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 really just kind of get into the china challenge what it means for the u.s north america the world and 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 part of it's aligning a theme you know we're looking at that a very polarized u.s political environment very polarized european political environment in fact one of the things that we've seen is polarization and, and i would use the term stratification Worldwide, the only constant within those two uh, buckets that you addressed is actually the shared fear of China and the shared lack of knowledge in terms of what to do. So, hence the planning and business continuity elements for mitigation. But you know, you know it is interesting because I, you know, I, I I travel around the world and work with various different um, work in various different countries and work with various different countries uh, on on issues tied to things that China is involved with. And of course, you have a variation of, of, of themes. One thing is that the U.S., uh, we look at it as a, as, a, as a threat. 
all right, an ongoing threat. And that's been something that's been really transitioning the last few years. But a lot of those countries, yeah, they don't like the debt that China's imposed on from things like Belt and Road. But one thing they're getting really worried about or uh, are, are concerned about is the, the language that's being used. But when you look at some of these countries, China is putting in a lot of money, an immense amount of investment. And that's something that they're not seeing from the U.S. or not seeing from other parts of the world. So even though China may, we may see it as a threat, China is actually out there providing a lot of investment, helping a lot of these countries develop. So a critical point here is the fact that it's good for us to be talking about this and it's excellent to be propagating this knowledge and those that are listening are probably aware of it by, by design. The problem is, to your point, a lot of the world is not aware of the, say, the Belt and Road Initiative, the, that 30% of the ports uh, in Europe are now owned or grossly subsidized by the Chinese. There is another motive, and it's not the straight commercial movement of goods and products. It's obviously the geopolitical uh, uh, hooks that, that, that you're referencing, which brings us home to a point, again, which you introduced, a fortress North America. Uh, you know, is this, are we going to re-employ renewed regionalism? Probably. We don't want to have mercantilism, uh, you know, based on a world that we've created uh, and grown on free trade. Uh, but there will be a restaging of the game board to this point. You know, it's interesting. Uh, years back, uh, both of us, we did our various MBA programs. And and uh, I went to Thunderbird, which is the international business school. And then uh, you went to Harvard, which has a pretty good reputation as well. And as I have told you over the years, not everybody can get into Thunderbird, so I don't blame you for going there. But uh, but with that said, globalization was the big term. You know, it was globalized, globalized, offshore. Uh, it was really looking at, at at how we could, you know, capture, you know, reduce costs by offshoring everything. And now with Fortress North America, now with the China challenge, we're kind of looking at this completely different, which is now we've got strained supply chains. We're very concerned that maybe we've done things We've built a reliance on things overseas in China that may come back to haunt us because China has some very clear political goals that don't align with the concept of free trade and uh, basically a, a, a shared coexistence, if you will. Absolutely. So let's, so let's talk about that. So in, in 2018, when we the U.S. and China engaged in this uh, trade war, which is escalating, as we know, and we introduced tariffs of 75 to 25%, and uh, and then, of course, layer that with, with COVID. A lot of the population got the feel when they went in and saw the empty shelves. And now, in, in your favorite store or whatever, and now, though, we're starting to really deal with the ramifications. Again, back to our fortress, North America. What's it mean long term? Of course, I'm coming at it from an economics and banking perspective. There is a complete realignment in terms of nearshoring, uh, requiring redundancy, sourcing you already see apple now shifting the manufacturing of some of their iphone seven percent has now gone to india okay which we'll talk about that later but there, there's all kinds of issues that are going on with investors from the western world wondering watching this tension that's growing what will happen if there's a, a push towards nationalism what will happen if they put a foot down on currency exchange there's new alliances coming out with other countries, which we'll talk about later, in terms of reducing the impact of the power of the U.S. dollar as in terms of the uh, as a, uh, the, the foreign exchange. 
that is a very strategic issue commercially and geopolitically that we need to make sure the world is aware of. And and all these countries, you know, uh, uh, when we're talking about Russia, we're talking about China, who are, you know, with a, a friendship that knows no bounds, as they like to say. Uh, a number of these countries are looking at displacing the dollar as the world's reserve currency. That has huge macroeconomic implications for the U.S. It also isolates U.S. influence in many ways because there are, frankly, a lot of different levers that we can pull through that reserve currency, uh, you know, basically being the reserve currency for the world for all of this stuff. But one thing I was going to mention, too, is along with the, with the, with the trade issue, gets into the very mechanics of how goods get from one point to another this gets into maritime shipping and when you're talking about for example something as strategic as the strait of taiwan where you have most of the world's uh container traffic goes through that strait and and various other choke points around the world if there's a conflict that shuts that down the supply chains hit in ways that really will dwarf what we saw in COVID. So, so, so let's pick up that theme on, on, on key supply chains and choke points. That's excellent, excellent, excellent. You know, w- one thing to consider here is, you know, right now that this chip factor. Now, most of us to an extent are aware that chip manufacturing is concentrated in Taiwan. They know the tension with China and Taiwan. They know that we are rapidly, as quickly as we can, trying to build platforms and introduce capital investment, again, to make our chips in our fortress in North America. That's all good. But right now, just as Yellen was, uh, what, two weeks ago over over in China, China slapped on trade tariffs on, on critical points of germanium and, and gallium, which are critical for manufacturing of semiconductors. So now we found ourselves not just entwined in terms of manufacturing in the world's you know, least expensive uh, where, uh, manufacturing plant, for example, but also key sources of input to the point of your point of supply chains are also being challenged. Many of the rare earth metals are also being uh, have been absorbed, purchased two decades ago with the, with the foresight, and much of the African continent is now largely dominated and controlled for rare earth metals by, by China. We have to move quickly for, for North America. You know, a few years ago, you and I were, were working on a, basically lithium sourcing. Yes. And we we're looking around the world, lithium sourcing and, and a variety of things. And we're looking at South America. Interestingly, you know, Bolivia, which is one of the places we're looking at, which had a change of governments, you know, and they had the Morales government, which was more far left, uh, ironically far left, but more aligned with Germany uh, for, for potentially uh, producing, you know, from the brines, from the, uh, the two Solars, the, the big Solar de Uni, uh, bringing out this massive lithium deposit. And then, of course, uh, they left. And then the Chinese came in with the government that replaced them for about a year. And then they left. The Morales Party came back in. And it was some of this constant change we're seeing. But what's interesting in that is that China was able to dominate that change. They, they recently basically got the contract to develop lithium uh, out of Bolivia. And they've been aggressively getting lithium. And this is the, the you know... We talk about lithium-ion batteries. That's what we're talking about right there. But they've been doing all over South America, everywhere in the world where there's lithium, whether it's hard rock or brine, they have been strategically moving in and and, and basically taking over that supply chain. And, and here we are moving into this green economy. And guess who has the supply chain for what we need for that new green economy? 
That's right. And, and and every conversation in terms of which is interesting because what you know the general population certainly ourselves included are viewing the EVs kind of the the the, the electro uh, the vehicles basically what the end user is using and we look where are the charging stations what's the mileage where do I go but to your point it none of this is relevant if we don't control the source of the lithium and the and the efficiency of manufacturing the batteries again this has been two decades in the making and it's just coming home to roost now there's one other point could i make about the um what's really interesting here i must say in a very objective way china china is brilliant in terms of responding to us they and it's such a complicated world now many of us regional comprehensive economic policy generally speaking is called rcep not expecting many to know it it's kind of geek like but what's interesting about it is it includes Australia, Japan, New Zealand, all of Southeast Asia, South Korea. These are the reason we bring this up. These are all our allies as well. So it's a it's a critical it's a critical point to consider the interaction, the inter, interdependency, not just directly because we've been talking about U.S. Fortress North America versus China. But about all of the other alliances that, that that are overlaying the globe and and we have a vested interest in as well well one of the things i want to kind of get away from the uh, raw materials is to the more refined materials which is talking about semiconductors chips if you will and and with a, a possible war if, if and i'm going to use that term a war between taiwan and and the people's republic of china mainland china if that becomes a war it's not just the shipping that's going to be shut down and that's going to be huge but also the source of microchips and microchips are essential in just about everything we have you know we talk about evs and cars every car is dependent on microchips we saw what happened in covid when microchip supplies started to diminish they couldn't produce cars and we had just some really strange economics within car pricing around the world so i'm, I'm looking at microchips and other critical manufactured items like that but specifically with uh with uh semiconductors as to what the implications of that might be should there become a conflict or or if not a conflict potentially if there should be a blockade which is something the chinese have been apparently practicing for from what we can tell not a, not a shooting war but basically doing a blockade on taiwan and seeing what the u.s and other countries of the world would we initiate combat action to break that blockade? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So, so what I referenced earlier about the pre-Yellen uh, visit with with the sanctions on gallium and the export curbs—that was a direct response, a tit for tat, right, to the you know the sanctions that we have employed, particularly about uh, artificial intelligence. So now we're creeping more into you know some of the very strategic and, and critical, but. It's a chips that that for the for the support of the AI that we are trying to craw, crawl back or claw back I should say from uh, from China. This is what's accelerating the 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 uh, tit for tat and the fact that there's very unlikely that this is going to be a wind down to this trade war initiated in eighteen. Now, one thing I will say across the Pacific, and I've been seeing this, and you know I go over there and 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 work in that area quite a bit, is I'm seeing some some real. St- real alignment in ways i've never seen you know we look at nato and there's been a big discussion about should nato have a liaison uh in japan and japan has you know reciprocity with nato 
And there's been talk about could the North Atlantic Treaty Organization go well beyond the North Atlantic? Could it become a global thing? You know, with BRIC, uh, you know, the the basically, you know, the, the basically have the the uh, not I'm sorry, not BRIC, but I'm into say the Quad. Uh, I said BRIC. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I know. I, I know. Go ahead, go ahead. But with the Quad, that's that's the alignment with India, Japan, Australia, and the U.S., and then the Quad Plus, where we talk about maybe. Uh, South Korea and the Quad expanded where we start talking about other countries in the region. Uh, We're seeing this alignment which is basically dealing with the threat of China and some of this is on the economic level, some of this is on the military level, uh, all of this is on the political level. But with that you're seeing some rapid changes in the U.S. positioning and and, uh, European positioning with places like Papua New Guinea which have been largely ignored but now, all of a sudden, it's become a strategic place, and the U.S. is getting, you know, basically, uh, they're opening the door to U.S. involvement there. And we're seeing the same thing with the U.S. going back into the Philippines in a very significant way. So there's a lot of shift going on. And, and, and Fiji with the, the, the missile-based support now to, to establish that. Uh, two, two quick points. You know, one is that, you know, when you're talking about the missile bases and the alliances and so forth, the need for communication is critical, whether that's through an expanded NATO, but, but it, it, it must be maintained. Because there is a fear that if there's a breakdown of communication, both the U.S. and the Chinese are very space-centric, okay? If, 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 if there's a misunderstanding and we elect to disable our eyes and ears in space, that accelerates. And there is a, a real concern that without that visibility in line of communication, we could stumble into uh, an escalated conflict. So I'm sorry, not, not we're not trying to wreck your day, but th- this is what <laughs> what they're thinking about. Second point, I want to I, I want to make a point about how impressed about the work ethic. So we did we executed a war game in China. We were working in Shanghai. Uh, you should mention when you say war game that these are these are uh, competitive war games. These are business war games. Business war games. These aren't so, actually shooting war games. Yeah, we business, need to make that uh, very business clear. Business war game, and we've done this all over the world. The point I'm trying to make here is working with the participants in that war in that business war game they are extremely hard hard working they are extremely dedicated and you know more so than other areas of the world that we saw so we should take this and uh, treat that with respect and certainly a nod of the hat but you know we have to up our game as well to 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 be on that playing field very general generally one thing i've seen is with with all of china's movements and we can talk uh, about the fact that they do command decisions uh which probably need to have been thought out more but one thing i do see is there's a certain discipline a certain focus and a certain strategic vision that they have that other parts of the world just don't have in the same way now some could argue that's the politics you know they're under a, a fairly autocratic regime so that's part of it. it allows them to have that more focus because they can be told all to go the same direction but one thing we are seeing is that they are moving out there and china has become a big challenge for the u.s now whether that results in a full fortress north america we'll see but china is is definitely something we need to think about yeah look, a closing point possibly is that look china's dealing with an, an aging population we all know that they had a, 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 a low birth rate with the one child policy those that were born are also highly um, highly exposed to the Western culture. The leadership is trying to keep a grip on that, you know, ma- maintain the longevity of the aging population, but also get the youth to fall into line. There's a lot of unknowns 
in, in, in that scenario. So we'll just have to be very careful and, and see what develops. I, I think that's 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 what we're looking at today. And I have to say, Mark, it's been a great discussion on the China Challenge. I don't think this will be our last discussion on the China Challenge because this is going to go on for quite some time. And hopefully somewhere there'll be an off-ramp with the tension. And hopefully the only war games we talk about with China will be business war games. But I have a feeling that the world's maybe going to be doing more than just that. Strat, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kempfer and Mark Mansfield.